0: Love a good fright? Stream your fears with Shudder. From the legendary monsters that fuel your nightmares to under-the-radar haunts and acclaimed exclusives like Creepshow and Slasher, Flesh and Blood, experience what Polygon calls a horror movie paradise and what RogerEbert.com says is one of the best streaming services in the world. Stacked with chilling content, all curated by the industry's top horror experts, Shudder's library of frightening films and eerie series covers the horror spectrum. Meaning there's something for every type of horror, thriller, and supernatural fan. Available ad-free and on the platforms you're already on. Sign up today at Shudder.com. Shudder. So good, it's scary.
1: The Real-Time Crime Podcast is for true fans of true crime. Join Leah Lamar and Teddy Mellencamp for an iHeartRadio original podcast dedicated to armchair detectives. Embark on a quest to unravel unsolved mysteries and delve into current criminal trials in real time.
2: Why do I obsess over true crime? It's because I need to know every detail because they say that the devil's in the details.
1: Listen to Real-Time Crime on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: There's a reason podcasts are popping up everywhere. Podcasts can make you money. And Spreaker is the easiest way to start a podcast. You could literally record your first episode today. Spreaker has all the tools you need to record, edit, publish, and yeah, monetize your podcast all in one place. And it's free. So tell your story and make money while doing it. Start your podcast for free now at Spreaker.com slash make money. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com slash make money. From the iHeart Podcast Network.
4: It's not just the victim and the victim's family. It's the worst for them, but there's also the people who are accused and it's never cleared one way or the other, really, and so they get whispered about in town, and just the crazy rumors hurt a lot of people. When there's no justice done, it hurts a lot of people. It hurts the whole town. I mean, a lot of these people, their children may be getting to that age. Their kids might be 16 or even older, and so that's got to be hard if you saw something like that at a party and you never told anyone. And and it's interesting because I could completely understand being 16 years old You're terrified. You're terrified of getting in trouble for drinking and, you know, whatever. But that's very different from 30 years later, you've got kids who are older. Like, you know, just interesting. It's the end of winter, and icicles are frozen on the gutters of my dad's house in Mountain View. I'm on the top floor in the war room, and in front of me are two boxes. There's a small brown one that looks like an oversized briefcase and a huge plastic blue one. These hopefully hold the clues to what happened to Janie Ward on September 9th, 1989. Everything in these boxes was collected by Janie's dad, Ron. He died last summer, but I feel like I've been talking to him every single day. It's weird how things will hit you emotionally. You're you're really, you know, um, you're okay for a long time and then you see something. The autopsy photos I saw were, were horrific, something that no family, no father should ever have to see. And then you'd see things like all of Ron's correspondence with his attorney and with the state. And Ron had obviously Googled how to write a business letter and what to do, how to get a notary, how to get a notarized statement. I mean, he really, every single thing in there was documented by him. And you could could just see how meticulous he was and how hard he worked. And right up until the end, he had his to-do list. Like we did with Rebecca's case, in order to figure out what really happened to Janie, we need to focus on victimology. We have to try to reconstruct what was going on in her life in the days and the hours leading up to her death. What really happened at that party? And 30 years later, why don't we know the truth about how Janie died? I'm Katherine Townsend, and this is Helen Gone. We're going back to the week leading up to the party on Saturday, September 9th, 1989. I'm keeping in the same folders that Ron had them in, and he, he was very methodical, so I don't want to mess that up. And I've, I've put a few aside that, are, that I think we need to be, deal with first that are contradictory. But anyway, We're using witness statements from the Arkansas State Police case file. The ASP took charge of Janie's case at the request of Searcy County Sheriff Kent Griggs. The sheriff had a history with Ron, and he wanted to avoid any suggestion of impropriety. Arkansas State Police investigator Bill Beach got the call. He drove to Marshall and started his investigation. And there are also contradictory things about um, where where Janie was. They call her Olivia in a lot of the statements because her name's Olivia Jane. But I mean, most of these witness statements spend more time talking about the kegs and who collected money at school during the party and who was playing the party. By that Wednesday. Everyone in the junior class at Marshall High School is buzzing about a party. It's being thrown by one of Janie's cousins, Jamie Ward. Since their names are so similar, we'll refer to him as Jay from this point on. Jay lived at a cabin in the woods off of unpaved Zack Road. The cabin was owned by Jay's father, Steve Ward. Even though Jay is only 16, his parents let him live in the cabin by himself so he could keep going to Marshall High School. Janie's family lived pretty far away from downtown Marshall. Janie's mom, Mona, told Bill Beach that it was not unusual for Janie to spend the night with friends on the weekend. On most Fridays, Janie rode the school bus home, and then a friend would pick her up to go back to downtown Marshall. Ron told Bill Beach that the last time he saw his daughter was the morning of Friday, September 8th, a day before the party. He told Beach that she left home wearing a pinstripe shirt and stonewashed jeans. We know that Janie was excited about the party from an interview her friend Leslie did with Bill Beach. This
5: will be an interview of Leslie, student in the tenth grade, approximately 4:20 p.m.
4: Leslie says Janie spent the night with her on the Friday night before uh, the party.
5: Where was the last place? My house.
4: The last time Leslie saw Janie well, was at around did. 4:30 p.m. on Saturday.
3: Uh, she was gonna finish fixing her hair like makeup. She said she's gonna wear a shirt off me to wear.
4: Leslie just said that Janie borrowed a shirt from her.
5: When did you find out which one she borrowed? Sunday after.
4: She tells Beach that she discovered her missing shirt the day after Janie died, when she went through her drawer to see which one of her shirts was missing. It was her deaf leopard one. So we know where the shirt came from, but we still don't know how she could have been wearing one shirt at the funeral home in Marshall. And then a different one at the crime lab in Little Rock. Leslie also says Janie told her she was going to stash her clothes at the pool hall so that she could pick them up after the party.
5: Was there anything in the time that she spent with you, Leslie, or, uh, that seemed to be bothering her? Uh, anything that she was concerned about? Nothing as far as, well, she was kind of
3: worried because I uh, ran into financial trouble with it. That's like, she went into
4: it. while Janie's at Leslie's house fixing her hair Jay is at his house getting ready for the party he's setting up kegs on the front porch he's also preparing the PGA punch which stands for pure grain alcohol he'd taken up money at school and had collected around $150
5: following will be a sworn statement of Jamie Ward why 17 is that right? When was the alcohol purchased for the party? And by whom? I don't know who ain't got it. I money, no, Jamie. I'd rather not say that. Well, you're under oath. You're not a suspect.
4: Jay is reluctant to share who bought the alcohol for the kids at the party, but Beach has already discovered it was 22-year-old Gary Don.
5: Did you go with Gary Snow to the big flat?
4: Gary Don is a graduate of Marshall High School. Yeah. And is still friendly with the students there.
5: I told you when we started that I talked to a lot of people since I talked to you the first time. I told you when we started. And I tell you here again in front of your mother that we're not here to point fingers and we're not going to say somebody specifically caused Janie's death, but that we do have to have the truth because these are unanswered questions that we can't leave unanswered to close out this investigation.
4: Cersey is a dry county. So to get the booze, Jay drives with Gary Don the 30 minutes to the Junction Liquor Store in Big Flat, which sits right on the border of Searcy and wet Baxter County. Everclear, which is what the kids at the party Janie attended were drinking, is 190 proof. That's 95% alcohol content, making it one of the purest and most potent alcoholic beverages available. And Jay tells police that along with the punch, He added fruit pieces soaked in rubbing alcohol to make it extra strong. I remember my high school chemistry teacher lecturing about the dangers of grain alcohol. He took a Styrofoam cup. This is what grain alcohol does to your stomach, he would tell us. And when he poured the alcohol into the cup, the Styrofoam bottom melted instantly. I can't remember what chemical reaction caused the cup to melt, but I can remember that, far from being deterred by the potential danger, The kids in my class had the opposite reaction. Strong plus cheap equals maximum buzz for minimum cost. Shortly after saying goodbye to her friend Leslie, Janie heads to the town square. There in the Daisy Queen were the main spots where teens would hang around on the weekends. Janie's friend, Ron Rose, is driving around the town square in his truck. He's with Kim, another friend. Janie asked them for a ride to the party. This
5: would be a sworn statement of Rondell Rose, a white male twenty years old.
4: This is Ron Rose, not to be confused with Janie's dad, Ron Ward.
5: How did uh, how did Olivia act you when you first talked to her up there on the square? She's in a pretty good mood. I mean, she was talking Real happy. Do you remember anything in particular that she talked about before you got to the party? No, not really. I just wondering who all was going to be down there and what was going on. Okay, so you and Olivia and Kim went to the party together.
4: Ron says the three of them got to the party around 5:30 or six p.m. Soon after that, more people start arriving. Here's Gary Don, the 22-year-old who bought the alcohol.
3: When we went in and associated with a few people, and I seen Janie. There, there was more people, and went on into the house. Went there, and there was people doing different things. There was people listening to the stereo, and there people in the kitchen. And there's some people out there that had a ferret out there. There's out there messing with it. There's more people out in the backyard, and I more or less walked on through. Went out associated with a few more of them people.
4: Multiple witnesses see Janie at the party. Some people say they saw Janie drinking the PGA punch, chewing on a few pieces of fruit, the one soaked in rubbing alcohol. But no one at the party is paying close attention to what Janie is doing. A lot of partygoers said they talked with Janie, but they don't remember what they talked about. People say she was sitting on Ron Rose's truck's tailgate or on a couch on the front porch. She was leaning against a post or sitting on the rail of the porch. No one knows for sure. According to the National Weather Service, sunset on September 9, 1989, was at 7.27 p.m. And that's around the time that all hell breaks loose. Depending on who you ask, two things happen simultaneously, or one after the other. Janie falls, and someone shouts that the party is about to get busted by the cops. Even though it didn't have electricity, the cabin had a phone. It's called a party line, and it was a common sight in rural Arkansas during the 80s. A party line is a phone line where you're able to pick up the phone and listen in on conversations happening nearby. If you want to use the phone to call out, you usually have to wait for another person to hang up. And someone at the party, no one is sure who, heard a neighbor calling the cop on duty, Joey Pruitt, and telling him a bunch of kids were having a party with alcohol. The neighbor also complained that the partygoers ran her off the road as they zoomed up to the cabin. Of all the people at the party, only three say they actually saw Janie fall. Gary a cheerleader named Sarah, and Billy, the high school quarterback. Sarah said that she was on the porch when Janie sort of twisted sideways, then just fell on back. In Billy's statement, he says she just came straight back like a tree. Gary Don was socializing on the porch.
3: So, uh, I looked away, and then I was more or less glanced back in, this, in flight. I mean, I caught her in flight, is what I'm saying. I mean, she was falling when I looked, and, I mean, it just happened that quick. Just, I mean, it just all, all that right there, it, we, we've been talking about, happened more or less in just a little wad. I mean, she fell, I mean, somebody hollered, Joy Pruitt was coming, that's what I heard.
4: Joey Pruitt was the police officer supposedly coming to bust the party.
3: But uh, and then people started scattering, running by her, and that's more or less whenever I really started paying attention to her, because I mean I couldn't get nobody to help me. I, I didn't know if she was knocked out or what, or really hurt or anything. I knew, but I got down there and turned her head over to see if she busted her head open. That's the first thing I did. I mean, I was trying to see if she, her head was busted over because I thought she might knock herself out. It's me and somebody lift her up on the porch in the light because the porch was kind of had her face shaved and stuff. I mean, had her shaved a little bit. And we raised her up into the light where we could really see her, pay attention to her. And basically from that, just people are going wild.
4: The thing no one can agree on is how long Janie was laying on the ground. Gary Don makes it seem like it was less than a minute. But Billy said it was more like 15 to 20 minutes before anyone moved her. So, this is the Billy Harris statement. Yeah, this is brutal. Kim Whitty went over to Janie and said she had passed out. I never saw anybody else go over to her. I went back in the house and talked with Jason, Matthew, and Brian. She probably lay there 15 to 20 minutes before anybody moved her. Me, Jamie, Gail, and Gary Don moved her to the back of Ron's truck. I don't think she was ever moved onto the porch. Jamie and Gail said she needed to go to a doctor. I noticed when I came back outside that she had a bowel movement. I could see that her pants were wet, and she was having a hard time breathing. Rose and Kim were in the cab of his truck, and Rose said there was no room for Janie except in the back. I offered to ride with her in the back, but Rose said no. He didn't want any trouble with the law. I offered to get a blanket, and he said no. She'd be all right. I believe she moved her arm across her chest when we put her in the truck. She never said anything else that I heard. Janie was on the ground 15 to 20 minutes before someone said the police was coming. Everyone just thought she was drunk and had passed out. Once everyone found out the cops were coming, people started panicking. Gary Garridon said everyone was running around like maniacs. They see Janie soil herself. At this point, they know she's in serious trouble, maybe dying. The decision was made to put Janie into the back of Ron Rose's truck. Ron, Kim, and Sherry, another friend, got in the front they started the three-mile drive on rural roads to Marshall's town Square. At first, no one is sitting in the back of the truck with Janie during the rocky ride back to town, until Kim opens the window of the truck cab and climbs into the back to check on Janie. As Ron zoomed down Highway 65, he passed another friend, Carla Brightwell. She flashed her lights at his truck, and when he didn't slow down, she thought something must be wrong. So she followed him. They ended up at the bank parking lot. At this point, Carla said Ron and the girls were arguing about whether Janie was just passed out and whether or not they should take her home.
5: my head. So Pam and I went over to her, and we were trying to feel for a pulse, you know, because you know, from what it sounded like, you know, felt for a pulse, I thought maybe she
4: wasn't going to have to exactly what I thought. Carla took control. She told Beach that she felt for a pulse, and thought she might have found one, but she's since decided that what she felt was her own pulse. She picked up Janie's arm. It felt cold.
5: I knew enough. You had some yeah, or something like that. But they don't train you to know what to do to pull up in the back of the truck, and there's a girl laying
0: there,
5: and you don't know the circumstances. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know what to do, sure. and um, I knew to get help, somebody that didn't know what they were
4: doing. So Carla had run across the street to the ambulance service to alert them of Janie's condition. J.D. Beeson was the ambulance driver and manager of the ambulance service at the time. He and his wife Kathy, a licensed LPN arrived on the scene and would later testify that Janie was lying on her right side. In a statement, Kathy said, We checked and rechecked for needle marks at the request of the sheriff. Coarse sand, dry leaves, and small twigs were found at the blouse neck and the Levi waist. Coarse sand was found on the abdomen under the bra. Kathy said this immediately led her to conclude this was a suspicious death, not an accidental death. Another employee of the ambulance service stepped in. He stated that he noticed something else, a strong odor of alcohol on Janie. That's odd, because it doesn't match witness statements at the party who said that she wasn't drinking heavily. One of the paramedics who examined Janie remembers seeing a black Def Leopard t-shirt over a white pinstripe shirt. She remembers having to unbutton and roll up the shirt in order to get to Janie's body. Meanwhile, many of the kids who had left the party congregated at the Daisy Queen. All of them were talking about what happened to Janie. A lot of them came to the bank parking lot, where a huge crowd gathered around Janie's lifeless body. By this point, half the town is there. It even makes the evening news, but her parents, Ron and Mona, still have no idea what has happened to their daughter. Janie is pronounced dead at 8.45 p.m. We'll be right back.
0: Love a good fright? Start streaming and screaming with Shudder. From the legendary monsters that fuel your nightmares to under-the-radar haunts and critically acclaimed exclusives, discover what Polygon calls a horror movie paradise and what RogerEbert.com says is one of the best streaming services in the world. Stacked with chilling content, all curated by the industry's top horror experts, Shudder's library of frightening films and eerie series cover the entire horror spectrum, meaning there's something for every type of fan. Come experience highly anticipated new releases like Superhost, Seance starring Suki Waterhouse, and the Boulet brothers' Dracula. Plus, don't miss out on Creepshow, Slasher, Flesh and Blood, and other must-see Shutter exclusives you won't find anywhere else. Available ad-free and on the platforms you're already on. Sign up today at Shudder.com. Shudder. So good, it's scary.
2: This episode is sponsored by Maidenhome. Home. High quality handcrafted furniture for the modern home. Maiden Home brings you thoughtfully designed custom furniture handcrafted in North Carolina. This region is home to some of the world's most talented artisans who are experts in woodworking, upholstery, and finishing. By partnering directly with these family owned workrooms, Maiden Home gives you access to the world's finest craftsmanship without the retail markup. From sofas and sectionals to tables and beds, You'll find beautiful heirloom-quality pieces that will last for years. And with over 60 fabrics and leathers and a variety of wood finishes to choose from, you can create a piece custom to your design style. Enjoy complimentary white glove delivery on all orders, a lifetime warranty, and easy returns within 30 days. To browse the latest collection and order free swatches, visit madeinhome.com. That's M-A-I-D-E-N-H-O-M-E.com
1: Geico. Great service, without all the drama.
4: On the night Janie died, Bill Beach interviews four of the people at the party. Gary Don, Kim, Jay, and Ron Rose. He then asks the sheriff to send everyone home. Over the next few days, the sheriff collects statements from the kids at school. Beach then interviews 30 people over the next few months. He re-interviews some of the key witnesses. As I read through his interviews, several things start to bug me. A lot of the statements collected from people at the party are incredibly short and don't provide much detail. And they spend half the time talking about who provided the booze for the party. And over the months, people's answers change. The cheerleader, Sarah, changes her answers of who she was at the party with, and also adds a story about Janie calling her a snob. Gary Don initially said he saw Janie fall, but later, in a reenactment video done by the Arkansas State Police, he demonstrated how Janie was likely to have fallen. It's strange. A couple of other party goers also said they heard a thud when Janie fell. And then a statement from a police dispatcher named Harold Young throws everything off. Ron Rose, Kim, and Sherry all said they drove from the cabin to the parking lot without stopping. But the dispatcher at the police station that night said Ron came by the sheriff's department at 6.30 p.m. to tell him there was an injured girl in the back of his truck. The dispatcher's statement was notarized and he confirmed what he said years later during another investigation into Janie's death. So depending on how you read the witness statements and who you believe, the time between Janie falling and being in the bank parking lot could either have been half an hour or more than 90 minutes. The order of events and how much time passed between them becomes one of the most hot button issues throughout the last 30 years of investigations. We thought having all of these statements available to us would be an advantage in figuring out this case, but it's leading me to even more questions. What could have happened in those 90 missing minutes? This is one of the recurring questions that the journalist, Mike Masterson, asks in his columns about Janie. After Janie died, the Ward family heard plenty of troubling stories about what could have happened during that missing time. Well, that's why Jamie and the bros boy, after they directed to go to the bank parking lot so Janie could be discovered there, that's why they were sitting there debating on whether to take Janie's body to us so Ronnie could take it from there instead of them going along with their cover up so they didn't know what to do well they no. also
5: took her to the bank parking lot because there was a car wash there
2: that too and that's where, right. They, right. Washed yeah. and that's where yeah. they washed and her body and they were
4: directed to
3: take yeah. her wash her off and wait at the bank parking yeah. lot until yeah. they could come and discover
4: her yeah. did they ever explain why she was wet and why her hair was wet and why there was sand in her clothes I, I mean clothes? no no, no, that was never addressed.
5: Yeah, I just uh, rumors and witnesses claiming that they washed her down with the water hose at the car lot or the car wash in the bank parking lot. Did, uh,
4: and when you say witnesses, was it people in the official report? Who so it was, This is like people talking. Beyond these missing minutes, what confuses me the most is the statements from the ambulance service attendants, J.D. and Kathy. First of all. It took Bill Beach more than three months to interview them. And that was after they requested he talk to them. They were so concerned, they even compiled their own statements to deliver to him.
6: Why haven't they talked to us yet? The investigators have talked to us. This
4: is an interview that Ron Ward did with J.D. and Kathy. As Beach does his investigation, Ron has started his own.
6: Would you like my opinion? And this yeah. is just speculation, okay? Yeah, I think okay. somebody threw on the damn river and picked her up for took her to the car, wash and hose or
1: something. But the
6: investigators haven't even talked to Kathy and I yet. And I, I asked him. Ask, they ain't talked
1: to nobody. I asked
6: Harold Young the other night. Harold, I, I said, why haven't those investigators questioned Kathy and I? We were the first ones on the
4: scene. Other than- J.D. and Kathy confirmed some of the things Ron saw when he saw Janie's body at the Morgan Marshall, like the sand and twigs. They said they hadn't noticed bruising. But in their notarized statement to Bill Beach, they did remark on swelling, on Janie's neck and shoulder. They also said she was wet except for her genital area, which doesn't make any sense because multiple witnesses at the party specifically said Janie wet herself. The paramedics also noted that Janie had a foamy substance coming out of her mouth.
6: I bet you there was a hundred kids over there. And uh, first thing I did, I had John Childers. I don't know if you know him or not. I had him chase everybody away from the truck, you know, 25 feet back. That's the first thing to do while well, she was checking them out. I feel funny talking about this in front of you, Ron. I'm sorry.
7: Uh, uh,
6: so then Kathy checked her. She had no radial pulse. She had no carotid pulse. Her eyes were dialing really large. I think we told you about that And uh, she had no visible bruises whatsoever on her body from the waist up. The only thing we found on her was some twigs and leaves and sandy gravel. Was, you know, like we told you, stuff down here and the back of the britches here. And there was coarse sand all through and the And she was wet, as if, like, somebody dropped in a river or something and picked yes. it back up. Yes. See,
4: as we saw in Rebecca's case, memory can be unreliable. And like Rebecca's, Janie's case quickly began to become a question of who remembered what. People forget. And the more time that has passed since an incident, the more likely it is for people to incorporate rumor into what they remember. This is a phone call between Ron Ward and Bill Beach. It was included in the original police case file.
5: Hello, Ron? Yes, Bill Beach. How you doing? Just fine. How are you? Okay. My lieutenant called me and told me that you had some more names. Uh, yes, uh, I do. Okay.
4: Ron is providing names for Beach to follow up on. This phone call is 50 minutes long.
5: Well, what what I'm saying, though, Ron, is, is, do you have all this documented? It, would it be possible for me to get copies, though, so I can compare them? I can go through and check the names and compare it to what the, they have told me. You know, like I say, if it's people that I haven't talked to that haven't been interviewed, then I can go back and I can do that. Or if it's people that that have been interviewed that have given contrary information, then I can re-interview. Them.
4: From what we can tell, this call that was included in the official police file was very civil. Ron,
5: have you got tape conversations with any of these people? Would it be, I, don't, I don't expect you to give me the original tapes, but it would, would it be possible at some point in time to duplicate those and uh, let me get copies of the duplicates?
4: But Ron also recorded some calls with Arkansas State Police officers, where he starts venting his frustration about what he feels to be Beach's lack of progress on the case. Ron? Yeah.
5: How are you? Okay. I've been up here all day and I talked to Bill Beach yesterday and I told him I was coming and I've been working on some other things and he said you had some tapes for him. You know what he's talking about?
7: Did he send the uh, information he said he'd swap with me? I I don't
5: know, I don't know. know,
7: But then I'll turn over what information I have if they'll turn over what information I have.
5: Okay, swap information.
7: You bet. And that's, that's the only way I will do it. Okay. At this point. I mean, he's the investigator. He's the one that's, you know, the CID agent. He's the one that's supposed to investigate it. and I'm the father.
4: Ron is suggesting a trade with the police. He will hand his interviews over to them if they will give him more access to the information that they've collected. Tensions continue to grow when Ron hears about Beach's interview with Gary Don. In it. Gary Don complains about Ron. Ronnie
3: calls my mother all hours not, called at 1 o'clock in the morning to where I was and if I was alright. He calls me earlier in the morning to come my house.
4: He says that Ron is calling his mother at one in the morning, is calling him, and has come by his house. Beach even says that Gary Don can file charges against Ron. Ron gets wind of this interview and has also heard that Beach has been asking about him in other witness interviews. Ron calls the Arkansas State Police.
7: I understand that uh, your CID agent, uh, Bill Beach, is running around town here and uh, getting information and trying to say that I'm the one to beat my daughter up. That's the information I have achieved today. And I do not appreciate that one bit. What's this got to do with... uh, my daughter died and they said I'm beating her up, you know. I can't understand this. I really can't. The overall things I can't understand. You know, this is uh, affecting uh, my family life, it affects my mind, it, uh, it works on uh, the people in the whole county, the whole state. Everybody's under gun. Everybody's wondering just what the hell did happen at this time, you know? Mr. Beach is, like I told you before, saying I'm a belligerent person. I'm not at all thrilled about the way Beach has handled this at all. It's been 118 days today.
4: It's been 118 days, he says, and no answers. We'll be right back. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Geico got it from Shakespeare.
1: Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Good afternoon. Would you like to try a free sample of our double fudge brownie? Oh, sure. Mmm, that's very good. I'll just take one more, just to be sure. Yep, still very good. Some things never change. Like never being able to take just one free sample. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance.
5: Mm, Mmm, is that
1: macadamia
5: nut I taste? Let me take one more. Sir, Mm.
1: yeah, I thought so. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.
4: After looking at Janie's case file, I'm left with plenty of questions. Why didn't they put Janie in the front of the truck? And if she was in the back, why did no one ride with her the entire way and hold her hand? If she had an injury, was it made worse by riding in the back of that truck? Also, Why was she left lying on the ground for so long? One 16-year-old kid was insistent and said that he needed to speak to investigators the night Janie died. He said that Janie was lying on the ground at the party for much longer than a few minutes without anyone getting help for her and that they were focused on cleaning up the beer. I get that they were scared, but why didn't anyone help her? And why did some people hear a thud when she fell? Also, why was she so wet? One statement said that someone threw beer on her to try to revive her. That could account for the strong odor of alcohol that paramedics said they saw on her. But one witness who was in the bank parking lot said they were called water gushing from the back of Ron Rose's truck. What was the route of the truck from the party to the bank parking lot? In his statement, Ron Rose said they decided to take Janie there because they thought it would be faster than calling for help and the bank parking lot was close to the ambulance service. But why didn't they just go directly to the ambulance service? And if we take the police dispatcher at his word, could they have taken an alternative route? Did they make additional stops? Obviously, there's a lot we still need to figure out. But what we do know is that in the months after Janie's death, an environment of hostility is brewing in Marshall. The wards and a growing number of residents are starting to believe that no one in the police department is telling the truth. Fingers are getting pointed. And any remaining trust between citizens and authorities is deteriorating. On December 17, 1989, a little over three months after Janie died, the Arkansas Gazette runs a story with the headline, Teenagers' Death Remains a Mystery. Parents call Investigation a cover up. Rumors are flying, so we need to take a step back and turn to the one piece of evidence that might give us some more reliable answers. We need to go back to the case file and take a hard look at Janie's autopsy and find out what happened at the Arkansas Crime Lab. I'm Katherine Townsend, and this is Helen Gone. Hell and Gone is a joint production between School of Humans and iHeartRadio. It is written and recorded by me, Katherine Townsend. Taylor Church and Gabby Watts are our producers and story editors. Executive producers are Brandon Barr, Brian Lavin, and Elsie Crowley for School of Humans, and Connell Byrne and Chuck Bryant for iHeart. Our field producer is Miranda Hawkins. Theme and original score are by Ben Salih. Available wherever you get your music please visit us at hellandgonepodcast.com or follow us on social
2: media. Support for this podcast is from Williams. We make clean energy happen. Williams is the first North American midstream company to establish a climate commitment and an immediate approach to a sustainable future. We've released our 2020 sustainability report to track progress on our ESG goals, which includes a near-term emissions reduction target of 56% by 2030. We're leveraging our natural gas-focused strategy to fight climate change today and build a clean energy economy tomorrow. Our infrastructure and commitment are transforming the future of energy. Learn more at
0: Williams.com.
1: Courage. I learned it from my adoptive mom.
2: Hold my hand. You hold my hand.
0: Yay! Learn about adopting a teen from foster care at adoptuskids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
1: I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family, and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID nineteen has changed how we live and how we feel. But now there are vaccines. And they are the very first step that let us get back to what we miss most. It's okay to have questions. Is it safe? Should I wait? Now, get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision when vaccines are available to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council.